Welcome to Sweeping the Country one more time. I'm your host, Derek Walker. Along with me today, my co-host, and he's always here, and he always brings the goods, Mr. Jimmy Carter. Hey, Jimmy. Oh, hello, hello, hello. Got some interesting people today. Some you don't hear, certainly one of them you don't really hear interviewed. The first one, though, is a multi-talented guy. He's now a part of the group, The Eagles. He is singing some of Glenn Fry's songs in concert. He is one of the... Um, one of the most number of wins for an artist in Grammy history. Wow. He just got a lot of great things about him. Good guy, big hearted person, uh, married to very uh, talented lady too, Amy Grant, yeah. 18 CMA awards, 22 Grammy wins. Wow. That's a lot. That's more than any other country male artist in history. A member of the country music hall of fame inducted into the guitar center, rock Walt, Rock Walt by Joe Walsh of the Eagles. Yeah. And he and Deacon Fry, you know, have been filling in for Glenn Fry uh, in his absence. So uh, what can you say? We had a chance to sit down. It's been a while uh, for a long TV interview, but we did a little bit of chatting uh, back in 2007, Vince Gill. I like to start my interview off with Grammy winner Vince Gill. You know, if you ever die... They're going to say that Grammy winner, Vince Gill, but I guess there will be worse, worse things I could say. That's what they're going to carry my casket with is the Grammys along the side. <laughs> well, no, 15, that is really unbelievable. And it's not just someone in country music that votes for some of those, is it? No, I think it's a, it's a pretty interesting uh, group of people that, that wind up voting for Grammys because I think a lot of times Nashville looks at the Grammys and say it's not very representative of, of what's going on in Nashville, and that always kind of stings a little bit, you know, because I've won so many Grammys, but... I think it's a really neat broad section of musical people and, and, and I think what's good about it is that it's not necessarily uh, as much of a popularity contest as some of the other award shows can be. And so, um, you know, I know there's people like Sheryl Crow and Sting and, and all kinds of folks voting in, in categories and voting for records they like. You know, it's pretty frightening. I think I've known you now 27 years. I figured that out today. And I know that we all go through in our lives as we go through our careers, we come in peaks and valleys. You've been very blessed with your career. And I think that, in my opinion, you're kind of recharged. I think this last ambitious album got you pretty excited about being back out there on that stage again. Well, I think that it's real easy to, uh, I think it'd be real easy to, to assume that. Um, <laughs> in, in, in all those years that, that maybe I wasn't um, at the forefront, that, that maybe like I once was, that nothing changed. You know, the desire and, 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 the drive to still write better songs and make better records, that never went away. You know, I just think that, that we live in a culture where things ebb and flow and, and peaks and valleys in an artist's career, and, and mine has slowed down a little bit over the years, and, and uh, as, as they all do, you know. And, um, I don't know that I was any more motivated by this record than any other. What I was was um, I, I felt free. I felt a freedom that, that maybe I haven't felt in a long time to just do what whatever I wanted, you know, if it was if it was to have a record with a, a jazz song on it, it had a jazz song on it. If it was bluegrass, it was bluegrass. Well, you can be, you feel free to be an artist? I always have. I really do. I, I don't think that there's been any um, any point of my career where I said, well, I, I probably sold out in this era or this stretch of time. I always felt like I was still trying to write great songs and make great records throughout all this. You know, when we were watching a moment ago, Merle Haggard on television, I think the most impossible thing to do in the music business is really longevity. Most people don't last two or three years, five years. I mean, to be around a long time is difficult. 
I think it is, and I think that if you look at artists that have longevity, you'll find talent at the, at the end of the day, and, and people that really are gifted, you know, and Johnny Cash, you know, for, for nearly 50 years kept showing us what art looked like, you know, and, um, and, and Willie Nelson and people like that, 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 you know, I just think that, you know, Eric Clapton would be a great study, and since the 60s has still been making great records and influencing people, and, um, that to me is the bottom line at the end of the day. You can, uh, I always tell my kid who's kind of interested in getting in the business, I said, you know, you can get the door open any way you want. I said, once you get it open, you better have some talent, you know, once it's open. How good has that guitar been to you? Which one? <laughs> Anyone. <laughs> I know you have several. You know, how, is that fact that you're a guitar player, you know, that you don't have to just lend on your singing, I mean, you're a great guitar player. Well, you know, I think it's a great comfort knowing I could make a living just as a guitar player and play with somebody if I had to, if I lost my voice or was not able to sing or lost my record deal or any of those kinds of uh, things that might happen. And, and, and I think I've always approached my career from a different place because I am an artist, but I'm a musician first, and, and, uh, and they, they kind of coexist. When you go out and face a crowd, I know all the crowds are different, Right before you go on, are you a butterfly kind of guy? I mean, even Eddie Arnold told me he got little butterflies before he goes on stage. I know you don't seem too butterfly right now as we interview you two hours before you play. <laughs> I have always, uh, I've always had a pretty easygoing demeanor about all this. I think that there's still in everybody that's that's crazy enough to stand up in front of people and play or sing and, and hope for, for something to be received after you get done. You can't ever get past, no matter how well you do or how poor you do, you, you can't help but want um, that that something coming back after you finish, you know, and you want them to like you. You wouldn't you wouldn't stand up there in front of people and, and do this if, if you didn't have a, a hope and a wish that, that they liked what it was that you're doing. What's been the coolest thing about this job when you think about it? Is it meeting some of your heroes? I mean, what has been the thing? I know you do a lot of charity work, which I think is very nice and needs to be recognized, but what's the cool thing for you in this job? No hard labor. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. No heavy lifting. Um, you know, a, a lot of it is, I, I think, I was talking to Amy the other day, and I said, you know, what's interesting about a musician is... is uh... There are three simple changes I tell all of my arthritis patients to make. Number one, you have to start drinking more water. You wouldn't and the word juvenile was not the right word but but there's just a, a youthful spirit in a musician that that's unlike anything else i don't ever really have to put a coat and tie on and go do eight to five and do a a hard job you know it's a job that um once again i i, I get i get something back from it every time i mm -hmm. i choose to do it that's very lucky very few people get to do something that they that they're crazy about and they love and and uh I talked to a, a sports psychologist one time. We were playing golf together, and he says, "Well, he says you live in a pretty unreal world." He says, "You, you, you, what you do all the time, you, you kind of receive praise for it every time you do it, and it's pretty unnatural." And I realize all that, um, and so with that, I'd say that, you know, I, I, I kind of feel like I've never grown up. You have a really cool wife, and I talk about maturity. I always thought she was very mature, even when, you know, when I first saw her, I always thought she was a very mature young lady and I think she continues to be now. Uh, is she the more mature of the two? <laughs> oh I would think so yeah no question. Um, what she has is an old soul. Mm -hmm. I think that's what, I what what people identify in Amy is is, is a timelessness. Mm -hmm. You know that you could 
my mom paid her the greatest compliment I think I've ever heard my mom pay anybody. Uh, she told Amy, she says, you'd have made a good farm girl. You know, my mom grew up on a farm, knew hard times, knew hard work, knew all those kinds of things, and, and she really admires Amy. And, I, and I, that's what I, I see in Amy is is that she could have lived in, in any stretch of, of, our, of, of time. I know one thing about both of you, and I know she respected a lot Minnie Pearl because I worked with her on a Minnie Pearl special back a thousand years ago. One thing that I noticed about both of you that seems to be missing in some cases, you respect old people and you respect history and tradition. Well, uh, that just comes with, uh, um, I would think, good family upbringing, you know, and good, good, uh, a good sense of right and wrong and respect and, and, and I, you know, I don't care who it is. They, they don't have to be a singer or a famous person um, to be a generation before me to get my respect. I open doors for ladies, and yes, ma'am, and and yes, sir, and and that's just. Uh, it, I sometimes I I offend people by saying yes, ma'am, to them. Says a woman will say, "I'm not old enough to be called ma'am." I said, "Well, if you were 15 or 20, I'd say yes, ma'am, to you." You know. So, so yeah, I think that uh, we we both possess. Um, similar qualities, you know, in, in the way we approach life. We both are, uh, I think we both have a, uh, a realization that uh, the gifts we've been given are special, but they never allow us to make us be the ones that, that, that are special. It's just the gift, and I think therein lies the difference in some people. Like they, they wind up with a great gift, and then they think it makes them special. When you're perceived as being, and you are perceived as you're a good guy, you have a hard time saying no to people because you really are a nice guy. If they get to you, you have a hard time saying no because you want to please people. Yeah, it's hard to say no. You know, I, I just, you know, if, if you've got enough time in the day and, and somebody needs you, you know, I think that's just the human condition tells you to be that way. Um, so I, I'm not self, I'm not real selfish with my time. I never have been and don't want to start. You know, I just, I feel like, well, yeah, I'll, I'll take care of that if you need some help. Um, so I, I say no a lot more than uh, than I think most people would think, um, just because there's only 24 hours in a day and you can't get everything done that you'd like to, and, and just try to do the best you can with the time you've got. Think about, and there's not one answer for this, but think about before we go, the coolest moment of all your whole career, the one time you looked out in the audience and said, man, this is pretty neat. Is there one or two particular events when you had almost an out-of-body experience and said, I can't believe I'm doing this in this particular place? Um. Well, there's several, you know, you're right, this is not a one, a good one answer uh, question. Uh, I think getting to do American Bandstand mm. was a pretty neat moment mm -hmm. for me. Getting to do Johnny Carson with Johnny Carson mm -hmm. was a neat moment. There's all kinds of things, you know, that, that I never would have expected I could have done. Playing that Eric Captain Clapton Guitar Festival was, I think you told me it was pretty cool. Yeah, it was extremely special because it's, you know, it was chock full of people I admired and, and learned how to play the guitar from. Um, I never thought I'd meet a president. I never thought I'd, you know, be on the Grand Old Opera. I never, you know, and then I'm through it all. I, I, I married a beautiful woman, and, and I have a kind soul to share my life with, and that's that's maybe the best of all. There's probably a country song in there somewhere. <laughs> if you were right on that legal path. Grammy winner Vince Gill. Thank you very much. You know, he was one of the first stars I ever met when I started DJing country music, which was you know 17 years ago. But I loved him then. I thought his music was great. His wife is great. Then he steamrolls through life. He's a great guitar player on top of it. If you haven't seen him live, and you do see him live, you'll know he's fantastic. 
Um, yeah. And and then he joins one of the greatest rock bands, Southern Rock, of all time, and everybody seems to just accept him. Like he's, you know, he's not the original, but they're not balking. They're going to see the Eagles. People are going to see it, and they like it. Well, they respect, you know, the Eagles' yeah. choice of someone who is so talented, got such a big heart, not a showboater yeah. by any yeah, imagination. Yeah, yeah. Agree. Uh, he plays tastefully and uh, like a Chet Atkins, you know, yeah. he glides around the guitar uh, so smoothly. Yes. One of, the, one of the greats. Now, this next guy, he's written the words. You know, there are people that write music and there are people that write words. And this this guy is a lyricist mm. for for someone who wrote so many great historic themes. Oh, Andrew yeah. Lloyd Webber. This is lyricist Tim Rice, who wrote the words to things like Evita oh, and Jesus geez. Christ Superstar. Oh my gosh! And he wrote Chess mm. and Aladdin for Disney. Oh my! The God. Lion King, the stage adaptation of Beauty and the Beast. Uh, it just goes on and on. He also wrote lyrics for the Alan Menken musical King David mm -hmm. and for the Road to El Dorado. He was knighted by Queen Elizabeth II wow. for services to music in 1994. Uh, he has a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame, a member of the Songwriters Hall of Fame, a Disney legend, uh, one of 16 artists who have won an Emmy, an Oscar, a Grammy, and a Tony wow. in the United States. Wow. The gentleman, sir... Tim Rice. Well, Tim, I understand you like country music a little bit. That's quite an I, honor for I someone who's I love country music. Yes, I would love to write a couple of country hits. So it would be dream come true. I think my love for country music began with the Everly Brothers, who were pop when they broke in England, but they were really, their roots are in country. And to this day, I don't think anybody's made better pop records consistently than Don and Phil. Definitely, you British people are consistent in that, in that you love the country music. I mean, John Lennon was a big fan. Uh, Paul McCartney, you know, couldn't wait to get to Nashville to record. Right. Ringo Starr, even, as soon as he got out of the Beatles, he was, yes. I mean, you know, act naturally. You know, the Buck Owens, the, but, but the English people like very traditional country as opposed to a lot of this modern slick country, right? Yes, I think um, in the 80s, country got a bit a bit sort of middle of the road and poppy for British tastes. But now with a lot of the new, more, I mean, it seems to me that in the 90s, the last three or four years, there's, 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 there's been a return to truer country values and the sort of the, the, the great voices of the 60s like Merle Haggard and George Jones, their, their sound is coming back in a different way through, through people like, well, Garth Brooks or Travis Tritt, Alan Jackson, all these people. I mean, they're all doing stuff that, to me, certainly seems more real country than than some of the stuff a little bit before. But you still can't hear country music in England. Not really. Live. No. Radio Two plays it a couple of times it, a week, but and that's about it. It gets played as if it's pop. Um, there is a country program on Radio Two every evening, uh, every every Thursday evening. But you're right, there isn't a lot of outlet for it. But an achy, breaky heart, for example, ends yeah. up being top of the pops. Yeah. But people would buy that thinking it was a pop record. Mm -hmm. There's no real country. I mean, there are a few die-hard country fans, quite a lot of them indeed, but there's no real automatic big market for someone like Randy Travis or Garth Brooks mm -hmm. or Winona Judd, people like that who sell millions of records here, zillions of records. Mm -hmm. But in England, they don't really mean very much. They'll sell out one night in London if they come, but they don't have that huge, broad base. Sad uh, to say. I enjoy watching your work. I remember Jesus Christ Superstar was a, it stirred things up over here because it was pushing, you know, people hadn't thought of it, anything quite like that, uh, but it turned out okay. Yes, it was, I suppose at the time, one or two people thought it was rather shocking, but it was really 
the title, I think, that probably shocked people to begin with. And once you got into it, anybody with any intelligence would realize that it wasn't really saying anything particularly outrageous or indeed even anything original. It was just telling an old story in a new way. And we had a few nuts writing us letters saying you will rot in hell. But 99.9% um, .9 of the people seemed to love it and uh, of the people who listened to it at all. And I think on the whole it had a very positive reaction. It, I was going to say, I found it actually very inspiring. Well, an awful lot of people did write to us in those days, and indeed still do. I get letters from people even to this day saying, it really made me think more about the story. That wasn't our aim. We weren't trying to convert people one way or the other. But it's always nice when somebody writes you a letter and says, I really thought about it as a result of your record. And you have a work that has a resurgence going on now. It didn't do that well when it came out. Joseph and the Amazing yeah. Color Dreamcoat. I mean, it didn't do bad. It was on the heels of Jesus Christ Superstar, but now Donny Osmond's on the road with it in Toronto, I know in Minneapolis. It's doing great. Well, in fact, it was written before Superstar, and in England it's been a sort of hit on the road forever. It's, it's a staple of schools, but it's now being done in a, in a, in a big uh, professional way, and it's been a big hit in London. It's still running, in fact, starring Jason Donovan, the Australian singer, and uh, the show has been recreated in Canada and now in northern parts of the United States um, with uh, young Mr. Osmond, mm -hmm. who uh, was a huge star in England in the early 70s. You've gotten involved now in the world of animation with these guys, and that's quite a different thing from a stage play. I mean, really, is it, is it that much different, really? Well, of course, there are new disciplines, and I think the, the, the main difference is that with an animated film, every frame has to count. You haven't got the luxury of saying, I want my character to get on stage and do five verses of this song, because it's a great song. Therefore, let's, let's give her five more verses. With an animated film, you've, you've, you're really restricted. You've got to get the point over much quicker. You can't waffle. You've got to hit home, advance the story, and do something with every single line, which is often the case in a theater, but, it's, but it's, it's a much tighter discipline. But in essence, at the end of the day, when you go and write a song, you're at your same desk, it's the same brain, it's the same process. Are you an endless well or do you ever get tapped out? Just say, I don't have, I'm a blank sheet of paper today, it scares me to death. Sometimes you do find it very hard to get going on something, that is true. But by and large, the old cliche about it being 10% inspiration and 90% perspiration is true. You've got to sit down and say, by the end of today, I will have written 12 lines. They may not be any good, but at least I'll absolutely do that. You find yourself copying yourself accidentally sometimes? Sometimes I find I've used that before somewhere, but that's not as bad as copying somebody else accidentally. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I won't sue myself. And I guess that's always a danger, too. I mean, George Harrison, everybody, you know, has had the trouble yes, at one time. That's true. It is a danger. It seems to be something that is almost unique to composers. I don't recall, I'm sure it's happened, but I don't recall a major case of somebody suing somebody because of a lyric. Um, it's always the tune. It's the third note yes. carried too far or something. I've, I've noticed lines of mine that have cropped up in other songs, and, I, and, and I'm sure I've done the same. And sometimes in lyrics I've had a deliberate tribute to a song. Um, but uh, basically lyricists seem to be fairly free of legal suits. I'll probably get 20 or 30 now. <laughs> yes. Everybody yeah. write in. You've heard right. this song yes. before. Jesus Christ Superstar. It came yeah. A rock song. Nice seeing you. Thank you. Nice to meet Come you. Come see us in Nashville. I'd, I'd love to. to. It's a songwriter's town. I would love to go there. I, I, I went there once and actually met up with Don Everly, which was great. So I will come there again. I'd really like to go there. Yeah, one of the 21 richest musical millionaires you know, in the United Kingdom. I, 
I would venture to say that most people wouldn't even know who he was when you mentioned right, his name. Right, they wouldn't. Yeah. You're it's, right. It's incredible. Incredible. And uh, he's just one of those behind-the-scenes people. Mm-hmm. He's not a performer. Yeah, right. You know, he's, I guess, I don't know if you'd say he's a poet. I didn't ask him that. Should yeah, have. I think he what is. What he considers himself as, but he's a writer. Yeah. And that's what he does. He writes. Talented and, dude. Uh, plenty of plenty of great great songs and we obviously talked about jesus christ superstar and a few of those and then this next person you know some people get to play one role in their life that really is the role that was made for them Mm -hmm. and the role of loretta lynn was made for sissy space she she became loretta lynn she did i mean it was like it was I mean, yeah, this lady was also Carrie yeah. in 1976. Oh, I forgot and, about that. And she's been in a lot of other really fine movies. But when they did Coal Miner's Daughter in 1980, um, Sissy Spacek, I don't think she ever recovered from it in so many ways. She was yeah. very close to Loretta. Loretta was absolutely chose her to be that person. And uh, very few people have been able to do And, li- and when you even listen to Sissy, she's from... I think Virginia somewhere over in there. Mm-hmm. And uh, she sounds like somebody, she almost sounds to me like Loretta Lynn, but here she is, you know, and again, what all these three people have in common is their music is such a big part of their life for yeah. Sissy. Music became part of her life because of Loretta Lynn. Well, let's talk about that for a second. We were talking about how Tommy Lee Jones said the other day that Coal Miner's daughter was, he thought the best movie that he ever did. And he's done a lot of movies since then. And I said, well, that was a good Tommy Lee Jones movie. He said, nope, that was a Sissy Spacek Loretta Lynn movie, not my Oh, movie. that was a Loretta Lynn movie. That was a Loretta Lynn, good little Lynn movie. <laughs> Tommy Lee was great in that. I, I, my performance would have been nothing if it hadn't been for him. Is we that, had a do real... you feel the same way about that movie that he does? Yeah. That that's your most special movie? Uh, yeah, that's, I had the most fun making that, and, um, you know, Badlands was, was a film that was a real turning point, it was an important film in my career, but those two, Coal Miner's Daughter and Badlands, are the two that really, uh, changed things for me. Was Coal Miner's Daughter a performance for you that you felt like, you know, like a, maybe a baseball analogy that you connected really good and hit the ball over the fence? You know, we worked so hard on that. We did it in nine weeks and doing all the music live and Mm -hmm. uh, moving to so many different locations that we didn't, we never slowed down enough to think. think. (laughs) When it was over, we were just sad because we, Tommy Lee and I both loved being those characters so much. And we knew that that was it. We couldn't be them anymore we would be put in the loony bin. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't want to stop being Loretta. It was terrible. That's, it's, it's always interesting when movies come along that are special, you know. Sometimes it's just a job. And then sometimes it's a little bit more than that. Yeah, that was definitely a labor of love. And it was because Loretta is such an incredible, amazing character. Mm-hmm. Such a great person. You seem to be working a lot again. Well, my kids are getting a little bit older. So mom can leave the house They want me to get lost now. (laughs) Yeah. Because you were hanging out in Virginia. You just pretty much stayed at home for a while. Well, now my oldest daughter is 17, and my youngest daughter will be 11 on Tuesday. So Mm. So they're, they're, one's taller than me, and the other one is coming up fast. Mm. With all the people you've ever worked with or met, you know, or been to the Oscars with, and all this kind of stuff, 
Who's the biggest movie star you ever met? Like the movie star that like, whoa, man or woman, that you were in awe of? Gregory Peck, probably. Hmm. Gregory yeah, he's Peck certainly one of mine. He's, he's a force. Charm, just bigger than life. But, you know, it's funny. It, it, when you go to those events, to, I don't go to them enough to become calloused mm -hmm. to them. I go and I'm just, you know, I'm ogling. <laughs> it's, it's, it's bizarre to see people in person that you have seen always on the screen. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, so it's as, it's as strange for people who make films to see other people they've watched as it is for anyone to see us. A lot of these big stars today you've caught really very early in their career, like Mel Gibson. Yeah. And, uh, and Tommy Lee Jones is two that really come to mind. And, and Nick now Nolte. they've grown up to be big guys. Great. They're wonderful. Wonderfully talented and Did you see the guys. superstardom coming with, in Mel Brooks? You think he was going to be a big deal Mel someday? Mel Gibson? Mel Gibson. Yeah, <laughs> not Mel Brooks. I think they're oh, very similar in character. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Who, who would have thought it? When I met, uh, when, when I worked with Mel, he, he, uh, he only had three children. And... Um, he, it was his first American mm -hmm. film, and he was shy. He wasn't a joker and back he, then, was he? He, he, he must have been, but he didn't show yeah. us that side of him until much mm -hmm. later. You saw the shy demure more. Yeah. Mel Gibson, that's but he's a great guy. Do you uh, sit around every year and say, what am I doing for my career and how I'm going to do stuff, or you just kind of play it by ear? I just play it by ear. I'm not a big planner. I've, I... Concentrate um, on my, you know, basically, I concentrate on my children's lives mm -hmm. and on my children. And I feel like, uh, you know, if, if a part belongs to me, it'll come to me. So, so far, so good. No doubt about that. I was saying this movie is one that I couldn't imagine anybody but Richard Farnsworth being that character. He was born to play this. He the doesn't know that, know, but he was born to play this. I think this. he was too, but I was telling him, I said, the only person I know that could play it is a country music star, George Jones could have played that guy. <laughs> he could have played that character, I think, if he ever wanted to be an actor. But they're both stubborn and, uh, but, you know, determined, and they're were men of honor as far as their words, their great, bond. He's a great man. It was just a joy to work with him. He just, he's so humble. You've been so lucky. You've worked with a lot of good people in good situations. You know, some people have a lot of bad situations they've worked in. They make the best of it. But you seem to have had a lot of movies that really were kind of cool just to work on and kind of family and good You know, stuff. It's, it's, it's such a collaboration. And film acting, more than stage acting, I, I think is, it's all, it's about, so much about chemistry and, and collaboration with, with uh, the other actors and, and filmmakers involved. And, and so it can either be a, an incredibly, an all-enveloping, wonderful experience, or it can, you know, it can be just terrible. Because once you're there, you're, 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 you're there, you gotta, <laughs> you gotta finish. And I have been very, very fortunate. Nice seeing you again. Thank nice you. seeing you, too. Coal miner's daughter. Oh, it's I'm a, proud. One of the great biopics. I, I love musical biopics. I do, too. I thought they made a mess of the James Brown one. I was so hoping that would be good, but no. the Buddy Holly story. Oh, God. And the Elvis the story. The story. The Elvis the story. The Glenn Miller story. You got uh, me. La Bamba. 
You no, got there me hooked, are a bunch of great. You got me hooked on the Elvis. I didn't want to watch it. You know, I'm not Elvis, a huge yeah. Elvis fan. I'll say it right now. I mean, I wasn't. I watched that movie on an airplane ride to your 70th birthday. <laughs> and uh, apropos, wouldn't you say? And so I watched yeah. it on the way, Charlotte. I watched it, and I'm just like, this is great. I mean, it was great. I really felt sorry for Elvis after I watched the movie. You know, I really did I, in so many ways. I often feel sorry for people. Well, I'll tell you who I really felt sorry for recently yeah. is I finished the 10 episodes of season five of The Crown. Oh, yeah. And I said, the saddest bunch of people I've ever <laughs> wanted to spend any time with. I mean, you feel sorry for Queen Elizabeth, for everybody. Right, right, There's right. Person there, you don't feel, uh, certainly for Princess Diana, but for Charles, you feel bad for all of you them. You do, you do. Them I can, agree. can have what they wanted, and in different ways, you know, you feel sorry for people like Elvis, who, you know, golly, I mean, yeah. they got on top of the world, but when they, when they got there, all the fun was climbing up the yeah. top of the mountain. It was nothing There left. was no fun on top of the mountain, and there's really no fun coming down. Yeah, and thank boy. God, really, Vince Gill able to stay on top of that mountain, even though radio and some of the others decide and move, and tastes move on, that yeah. they don't see him as someone who's a contemporary force in music anymore but he's still so talented oh gosh and, jimmy i mean you think about paul mccartney or you look at the eagles yeah none of these people have a hit record and had a hit record in many years it yeah. doesn't mean they're not any good right it's just that it's everybody in fact vince had a song called everybody's talking about the next big thing yes and that's did. what they are always talking it's harry styles right now and it's and it's still taylor swift who is definitely in the fourth quarter yeah uh, just getting way i think for her career but when you go to a funeral what song do you hear by vince gill almost every time go rest no high you know i mean he'd go say, rest high on that mountain yeah one of the most and then beautiful brad paisley's got a song just like that does he it's another funeral song called when i get where i'm oh, going oh gosh yeah that's beautiful beautiful you just that's gave a, me goosebumps great that's song. a great song too so it, you know these are interesting people yeah i've always found it difficult uh, honestly, the hardest people to interview are music people mm -hmm. because you can't really talk about music. You listen to music. Yeah, that's right. In the case of Vince Gill, he can talk about things. He's he's very, very eloquent. Tim Rice is a writer, so yeah. he's very eloquent. And then Sissy's basic talking about things that she knows. Yeah. You know, yep. which is Great. Uh, be, you know, playing a musician. So I think it all works. So kind of an unusual uh trio there yeah indeed and, and just enlightening as heck and i call kenny chesney has a song called the good stuff I, I implore each one of you to tell a friend this is the great stuff right here this is the stuff you are not gonna hear yeah it's good stuff but it's also great and jimmy thank you so much for opening the vault one more time and bringing us a three just enormously talented people getting a little oh. check behind the curtain which we love and you can check in with us once a week we do it every single week you can catch an episode from The Vault right here on Sweeping the Country. Until next time, I'm Derek Walker. He is... I'm Jimmy Carter. Good day. <laughs> <laughs>